Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. So, last week we didn't get the message recorded, and so I'm just going to go do the whole thing all over again. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm going to, but because of that, I need to do a short review and explain over what it was. So we're going to take about five minutes to do that, and then we'll get in, into the meat of it. But we started with 1 John 5, 19, and I think it's important to come back so we get a reference of, of what we want to learn today, that we reread it and hear it. Now, I have a tendency, because I get up here and I have a lot to say, I get going too fast. So with me, go... Deep breath. That's how you should read the Word of God. We're doing a study in 1 John. Okay? And I decided to follow suit with Martin Lloyd-Jones and start at the end, and then we'll jump around throughout it uh, to, to get the different things that we need. This, this is the last verses, or these are the last verses in 1 John. And it says this, We know... That we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So last week we looked at uh, who John was and at the time of this writing and what he had gone through, what he had actually survived, the different Caesars, uh, the Roman rulers that he had survived. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the list of evil. Uh, in the in those, and if you've watched any History Channel anything on the, on the rise and fall of Rome, you understand how evil this became. You know, Rome started off as a really a phenomenal thing as a republic, and and looking at the way they passed things, and then when the Caesars came into power. Uh, and they just kept getting more and more and more corrupt, and John lived through that. Now, John also, at this point in time, is written around, they, they say between 80 and 90 uh, A.D., so you put the date at 80, 85, and around that, John's an old man. Now, you have to remember what he went through. Everybody that he walked with, that walked with Jesus, when Jesus was on the earth, is dead when he writes this. He's the, if you will, to go off the famous American novel, he's the last of the Mohicans. He was the last guy. And so when he begins 1 John, he says that, I want to tell you about Jesus, that which we saw and heard and handled concerning the word of life. So he's expressing something that no one else left could express. Now the church is starting to build uh, what later became known as the early church fathers. Um, 
And so there's young men listening to John and reading his letters and trying to get in the grip of it. In understanding that and the framework, we look at where we're at today, and it feels, I, I think all of America, most everybody would say, it's out of sorts. We, we like have a bad cold. It's just out of it. But we've been living for a long time under the guise of a certain form of government, but actually relativism has taken hold in our country. Uh, it started long ago at the, at the turn of the 20th century and looking at it and as humanism came on to a rise and, and the understanding of relativism took place. And I want to relook at that uh, definition because this is a theory that knowledge is relative to the limited nature of the mind and the conditions of knowing. This is the same type of framework that John was actually writing his letter because the church was filled with various ideas and understanding. And so he's trying to explain it. Relativism is also a view that the ethical truths depend on the individuals and the groups holding them, which is... uh, It means this... My truth and your truth may not be the same truth. And so everything depends, think in the terms it's relative. It depends on the situation, how you see and feel about things, whether it's okay. And so what was once, let's say even 50 years ago, what what was once defined as moral and right and good is now erased. It depends on your individual view. And so we run into each other, we class with each other, and really what it does, when there are no moral absolutes, and by the way, C.S. Lewis writes about this very strongly in Mere Christianity, without absolutes, there's nothing to be sure of. So what relativism does is it creates uncertainty, the very opposite of what Mike was sharing about where we get our hope. Um, we live in an uncertain world. You're not sure what's right, what's wrong. We have things like cancel culture going on. Who can say what? Are we politically correct? Are we politically wrong? And it just, it takes away all of the sense of balance. And we're no longer certain of things. And, uh, you know, John addresses all of that in this epistle because the great questions are this. They confront each of us. Well, then how am I to live? What am I supposed to do or not do? Is there a difference between me and someone else? And how do we adjust our lives to that? What should our attitude and role be? Um, This is even within the church, there's a lot of uncertainty about that because part of the church wants to be of the stream that brings justice to the earth. And boy, I will tell you, thats I don't think justice happens until Jesus returns. I'm not talking about end-time doctrine. I'm talking about the imminent return of Jesus Christ coming back to the earth like he promised. How can we bring justice? What Jesus did is he brought justice to each of us individually in that he made us a just person 
by becoming born again. And so that's the hallmark of what our attitude and roles need to be. On a side note, and personally, I've never viewed myself as an American Christian. I've always viewed myself as a Christian who's American. The Jesus part came first because I really took the the scripture to heart, and I think probably most of you have too, whether you voiced that or didn't voice it, but I took to heart that I was of another kingdom. I was a citizen of a different form, a different place. I'd been translated into something. And though I was here, the here wasn't the thing that drove or motivated me or controlled me. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that many of you are on the same page with that, but it's interesting what John has to do because John gives some really very direct answers to these questions, and we began to look at them. We should not remain ignorant. Ignorant doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you're ignoring things. You don't know them. Um, we have a tendency to either um, hide or wait it out in the opposite way of Mike was saying, waiting with uh, you know, when's the other shoe going to drop rather than the anticipation of God's goodness. And uh, that we're not, God didn't call us to live in depression and anxiety no matter how difficult the times were at. If John wrote these in difficult times, he's speaking to each of us and it doesn't, like there's not an age barrier. Children have anxiety now understandably so they're hearing stuff that uh, this old man didn't hear till he was older they're getting bombarded by knowledge and things that it's hard for a young mind to comprehend those because the young mind takes them to places they were never meant to be and that's sort of exactly what those who live in relativism want because it produces a sense of uncertainty. That uncertainty, John answers so many times, and it means that you're certain of yourself first, and that's what we looked at last week, that you're convinced of something. And so he writes this in John 5.19, we know that we are of God. Now, in that being a huge statement, we closed last week with looking at, so that's the kind of catch-up. I hope that was helpful if you weren't here, and this week is getting recorded. So, But we looked at the passage of John speaking to Nicodemus in John 3. I mean, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in John 3, and him saying, you must be born again because they're talking about the kingdom and the reality of eternity. And Nicodemus is a, is a learned rabbi. He knows the law. He doesn't just know the law. He knows all the things that were written about the law. As a matter of fact, he's highly esteemed and looked at and listened to by other rabbis within, within you know, Israel and Jerusalem. So he's, he wasn't like this figure that just came up popped out of nowhere it's so interesting that he came to Jesus at night in the dark isn't it there's such a a huge background story around their interaction that it was heard 
And that it was Jesus himself who said, you must be born again. And then explained to him what it was, and he still didn't get it. And then Jesus said, well, it's, you can't see it because you're not born again. And you can't enter into it because you're not born again. And then he explains what being born again is, and that you can be certain of it, as certain as the wind. But describe where the wind comes from or where it goes. Scientifically, you might take a stab at it. Maybe if you're Gary Lisak off Channel 41, you can explain it in a way that some people understand it. All I know is this. And I'm certain that the wind was blowing. It blows. Jesus saying you must be born again gives us this certainty that when we are, we know we are of God. I know that I know God and I'm certain of that because I've been born again. His spirit lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in me. So, 1 Peter puts it this way. He says, having been born again, this is, he's describing people who follow Jesus, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, he's not talking about the written word. He's talking about Jesus as an incorruptible seed plants himself inside of people. So he's using an imagery. He's laying out his hair. He's going, boom. And that seed does not have corruption. That seed will bear fruit. That seed will have its way in a believer's life and that seed will always make sure that the heart that believes knows what it believes in. Have you read stuff and you go, I never, you know, you've read your Bible a hundred times and then there's a passage just jumps out at you. Boom. And you go, huh? And an understanding comes into you. Now, in Christian terms, and we're somewhat familiar with this, we call that illumination or revelation. I got a heavy revy from the Lord, that kind of stuff. It, we use language that makes sense of it. But actually what that is, is that is the living word in you highlighting the written word to you. He is the word of life and he lives inside of us. It's It's amazing. We, uh, Peter says in 2 Peter, we are partakers, this is what we have to be sure of, of the divine nature. We have been given, he says, in chapter 1 of verse 4 of 2 Peter, exceedingly great and precious promises. It's our job to dig those out and see what they are. They're all there in the written word, at least the ones that we know of. And you get the other ones that you don't know of and God highlights. He says that you through these may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped, here's the sentence, having escaped the corruption 
that is in the world through lust. So we see that in this, we're escaping something. Something that doesn't have anything but relativism in it. The world and its view is not absolute. Matter of fact, they reject the absolute. Therefore, there's no stability, no certainty there. We are new creations. Eternal creations. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we all know it so well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've been born again, if you are in Christ, you've become a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I used to put it this way, and it kind of made a joke out of it, but you are no longer a homo sapien. You are now a homo Christian. The difference between you then and now is what? Christ. And what a difference. Because it translated something inside of me. I'm not waiting for something more to happen. It has happened in me. And I'm to rejoice in it. I'm not waiting for God to come and rescue me. He has rescued me. The biggest thing he rescued me from was me. Bound up in my uncertainty. And that's why John's writing this. Don't get tricked into uncertainty. That's why I am a strong, and I preach this all the time, I'm such a proponent of eternal security. You know, and that, that's got a knock against it. People say, once saved, always saved. Yes, how, can you, how could you diminish the incorruptible seed. How can what you do or don't do stop what God did? That would make you bigger than... How can you sinning take away what Jesus took away? Think through it. All you have to do is think logically through this and go, you mean... And then you... And then you that's when all the weird stuff starts happening. Well, they'll do whatever they want if you tell them that. All they want is Jesus. All I want is Jesus. Have you ever noticed how uncomfortable it is to sin when you know you're a believer, when you're certain of it? See, we've preached it wrong. We've made believing hard and sin easy. And in reality, here's the truth, here's the certainty thing. It's really hard for you to sin. You don't know my life. I know your life. I know my life. And it's hard because you have to go through the machinations up here. You either have to put this, hit the pause button, ignore the Holy Spirit that resides in you, the certain one, and he certainly will tell you, any right. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when you're tempted, the Holy Spirit goes, mm, mm, mm. not badly, lovingly, not controllingly, beckoningly. He beckons unto our hearts to live in the certainty of who we are. And when I venture into that area, I'm no longer, I, what happens? You become uncertain. 
I better do business with the Lord. Better make sure I'm okay with God. I'm okay with God. Even if I do sin. Because he's the advocate. And I can run to him and not away from him because he already paid a price for that and did it. How does that work? That's the mystery. I'm saved and I'm going to always be saved. Can I blow it tomorrow? Yes, but it doesn't blow me out of eternity. It blows me right into his arms. When I see I'm not living in the certainty of who I am, I have been given special, exceedingly great promises that he will hold me there. I'm secure. I'm certain. I'm a new creation. So here's a Martin Lloyd-Jones quote over all this. If we are Christians, we are altogether different than those who are not. Notice he didn't say better. He said different. We know that we are God children of God. Related to God in that intimate sense, receivers of his very life and nature. In other words, the whole point about Christians is that they are unique and that they are aware that they have this new life in them. I don't think I'm better than the world. I'm other than. The same way Jesus lived here. He came here and he never classified himself as better than. Matter of fact, he associated with them. But he knew that he was from above. Do you believe you're from above now? Do you believe things like what John writes earlier in chapter 4 of this letter, as he is, so are we in this world. What? Can you really believe Romans 6 as Paul describes it? He died, you died. He was buried, you were buried. He rose from the dead. I, I've been raised to new life. What's true of him is true of me. It's stunning. We keep waiting for him to do something to make this all okay. That's not certain. He did something to make it all okay. In me. As a believer. In you. As a believer, you have this. That you're a partaker of his divine nature. He planted... Isn't this stunning? Somebody say yes or amen, or I'm just going to quit. I'll go home and <laughs> preach to my cats. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. And the day he was talking about was the return of the Lord. He said, I know. You can't take this from me. You can throw me in a pit. You can throw rocks at me. You can take my life. You can take my family. You can take all my belongings. You can't take Jesus from me. Nobody can do that. The devil can't do it. He can't steal Jesus from you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is where? In the world. The world wants to steal this and make you feel uncertain. 
Why is it so important, this difference between us and the world? This is an incredible scripture. 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, out of uncertainty, into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I don't have to get mercy from God. I live in the mercy of God. I don't have to beg God to give me something. He has. He's given me life. It changed. So then in in Colossians it says this way. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Do you see yourself certainly qualified? In In all things. This is a big statement. He has qualified us to be a partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. I don't submit to darkness. And conveyed us, I love this sentence, into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I don't have to beg God to do something. He did it. I'm his. I'm certain. He got me. (laughs) Even when I resisted, he got me. I've been redeemed with that certainty. If I know I'm a child of God, then I'm also certain this. I'm not of this world. I'm not of the darkness, and I don't have to be a partaker of the darkness. It's not who I am. The world today is trying to make me be ashamed of my beliefs. That somehow being this certain makes me some sort of person. Well, it does. It makes me a Christian. I'm not ashamed of my beliefs. My gospel and my truth. Here's the truth that we can say with Paul. I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Now what makes that scary is not everybody believes. If you're not a believer, you should be scared, really scared about what's going on. I don't have to be scared about what's going on in the news things that I read about in the world <laughs> because I'm saved. I've already passed through judgment. Jesus says the one who receives me passes through judgment and into life. We're all going to stand before God. I'm going to stand in Christ before God. And he will look at me And he'll see Jesus me. He'll see me Jesus. 
He doesn't see me any longer outside of Christ. What if I make a mistake? He no longer sees me outside of Christ. He deals with me as his child. Therefore, that's why John wrote, we know we're children of God. I know where I came from now. I know who I am. This also makes me certain about something else. He says, it's about the world. He says this, okay? He said, we know, <laughs> we know who we are. We know who we belong to. And we know that we are children of God. And he says, the whole world is the other thing that we know. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Does that mean that everything in the world is wicked? No, it's under the control of wickedness, even the good stuff. How is that? The earth has not been redeemed yet. And it is waiting. We think all the believers are waiting for the return of Jesus. We have Jesus right here. It's the earth that's waiting for the return of Jesus. It's groaning that you would be revealed. Because the thing that's going to be revealed is not just Jesus, but you and I. How is that so? Because when he returns, he knows those who are his. So will everybody else. If you're not sure about my salvation, you will be on the day if you're around on the return of the Lord. And I will be sure of yours. Because I will know it fully, openly. Every eye will see. It's a stunning thing, isn't it? The New Testament and reveal in history reveal to us that however much the world may change on the surface, it's under the sway of the evil one and sin. It's the part we're waiting for to happen. There have been great advances in knowledge and learning. We would all just go, huh. It's just in my lifetime, you know. It, it's your little, your little uh, smartwatch now. That was a thing of science fiction when I was a little boy in comic books and cartoon strips called Dick Tracy. Great advances in technology and science and discovery, but it hasn't changed the nature of the world. And it hasn't changed, it can never change, the nature of human beings. Have you noticed that humans aren't any nicer now than they were in the time of Rome? Have you noticed they, we really like to engage in the same perversions that they did? Matter of fact, we broadcast it more than they did. We put it on the internet for everybody to see. We haven't advanced in that way our, because there hasn't been a change in nature. I quit advancing that way because I got a new nature. The Spirit of Christ came in me. So I can definitely see the nature of the world. It's made a distinct difference. I'm certain that I am not of this world. Whew. And it is such a good feeling. I'm not bound to Democrat or Republican. I'm not bound to the United States. As a matter of fact, I have to live under the Constitution, but I actually have been freed from the law. All law. Does that mean you do whatever you want? No, it doesn't. It's Christ 
that constrains us. It's Christ that leads us to godliness now. We stumbled through it before and now I can live in a glorious different way. Recognizing it. 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Paul says, speaking to Timothy, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. The world kind of stinks and they don't like us. I've never understood why Christians think that the world should like us or think we have a better way or that we're more moral or that we're this or that. They don't. They, they persecute that very thing. He says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I'm not talking about an end time doctrine. I'm talking about the reality that John knew and Paul knew when they wrote this. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, to be certain of, knowing from whom you have learned them. 1 John 2, 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. How is that possible? Because the will of God is inside of me. I'm not looking to accomplish the will of God. I am the will of God here on the earth because Jesus inhabits me. Not in a lording over, I'm going to tell all of you what to do. No, to live in God. To have fellowship with the Son. I was designed to have fellowship. Not to prove anything to anybody, but that my joy would be filled up with knowing that I'm one with God. If we look for our joy anyplace else in the world, you can't find it. You can find a little bit of happiness and presence. It's just like money, Christians should be poor. No, it, it doesn't say that anywhere. Money helps. But that's not where my joy comes from. Money is not a source of joy. Matter of fact, money's a pain. Inflation makes it more painful, right? But God and my relationship to Him is not painful. It's joyful. There exists a darkness that still holds sway in the world. As beautiful as this world is, we all have to sigh with this because we wish it wasn't this way because we're of the light. It's ugly, it's harmful, and painful. But there is a promise from God that there will be a day when this passes away and it's replaced. The world will get born again and a new heaven and a new earth will come. That's what's promised in the word to us. But of this, and in this uncertain world, you can be very sure of, 
It's what Jesus said about himself. He said this, As long as I am in the world, I am in the light of the world. Was he? Yeah. He was bright and shining. Is he? Yes. He's bright and shining. Where? In you. We're to shine the same way he shined. He shined in the darkness. The world's wicked. So what do I do? I shine. He put me here. I'm the light of the world through Jesus. Are you connecting the dots? Is this making sense? What am I supposed to do here then? Oh, shine, baby. You know, I'm an old rock and roller, so it goes back to Pink Floyd. Shine on, you crazy diamond. You know, let the light hit you and refract all over the place and stun people with how good God is. And when somebody can't have any understanding, you still love them. You care for them and don't know them after the flesh. You want to see them after the Spirit. So they must be born again. So you must shine so that they can see it. Remember, they can't enter the kingdom until they can see it. How do they see it? When the light shines. Are you talking about witnessing? No! I'm talking about you fellowshipping with God. To be in fellowship with Jesus. Shining isn't something, a program that you do or a statement that you make. Shining is who you are. I shine because you go, why'd you do that for that person? Uh, I was being the will of God. I was being light in in a very dark place. First John 4, 4. I probably, I probably need to catch up, don't I? Here we go. He says this. So this is just earlier before chapter... Uh, you are of God, little children, and over, have overcome them. He's talking about the false teachers in the, in the world. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Darkness doesn't overcome light. Light overcomes darkness. They are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world. Have you ever gotten in an argument with them and they don't make any sense at all? And their, and their realities jump all over the place? You're not going to convince them that those aren't realities. What you need to do is shine. Therefore they speak as of the world and the world hears them. We are of God. Are we? He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and spirit of error. He's saying that doesn't make us better. It gives us the ability to distinguish they're not of God yet. Therefore it gives me the tool that I need to understand that they can't understand me. Did you catch that? It gives me a tool to know 
if, they're, if what I'm saying to them does not make sense, what do I do, shut up? Sometimes, sometimes. Other times, you say it a different way. You become patient. You become filled with the hope that Mike was talking about. You start hoping for something better for them. That hope is in Christ. So I pray now with meaning and certainty over their lives. I don't cast them off as not being good enough. I know them by the Spirit that God's will is that they would be saved. Therefore, I treat them the same way I would treat you. I don't cast them off. I become long-suffering and patient and kind and filled with all the stuff that I get from my fellowship with God because of this. God has a plan. And it's you and I. You are God's plan for the earth. Why am I here? Because God wants you here right now. Paul said, I, I speak as an ambassador of Christ, compelling people to listen to me, be reconciled to God. It's found in the verse 20 part of this verse. So right after 19 where he says, and we know we're God, he says, and we know that here's another thing, it's certain. He's not saying you, you can come to a knowledge of this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Do you believe you have an understanding of Jesus? If not, you need to become certain of it. So you need to study more in the Word and see what it says. That we may know Him who is true. There is no relativism in God. God is true truth. That means truth that's occurring. It's true truth. It, it not only is a truth, but it continues to be a truth, will always be a truth, and therefore it will have an effect against every lie. Amen. It is an ongoing begetting truth that God lives in you. I don't know why we get afraid of showing it. And we are in Him who is true. That makes me true. I'm a truth. You doesn't have to like me, but you're going to live in eternity with me. That's true truth. Not sure about that preacher. I am. I'm very sure of him. Because this is the true God and eternal life. And then he ends it with this, in certainty. He looks at those two certain things. You are of God and the world is under the sway of the wicked one. And he ends this whole beautiful letter with a warning. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Everything else is a false god. Every, under, every one of the understandings that they try and weave in it, well, that's good for you, but you have to understand that's not the truth I live by. Well, okay, I guess I can see that. No, I can't. Because that's not the truth, that's a lie. Oh, well, if I say it to him that way, they're not going to like me. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certainty. 
So keeping myself from idols means not worshiping what they worship. Whatever is an idol is something that we place as above God in our life. It becomes a false god. You can find what you truly worship by looking at your values. Because everybody lives out of their core values. We'd all love to live out of our aspirational values. I, I love aspirational values. What's the most important thing to you? The worship of God. How much do you worship God? It's aspirational. But you see, if it's really lived out, if who God is is lived out in me, I don't have to prove it to anybody. I got, I don't know how else to explain it. I know I'm going a little long today. I'm not out to prove I'm a Christian. I am a Christian. I don't have to prove it. How? Because I live my life in Christ. I'm not trying to get them to see something. I'm am something. I'm not trying to get them to believe something. I believe something. Now, if they get to see it, I'm there to rejoice with them. And if they don't, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like too bad, so sad, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Uh, it feels like that. You just want to walk away and go, what's the point? But the point is to continue to live in Christ. And to shine in the darkness. This is what we're called to, beloved. How do I shine in the darkness? I have God's joy through fellowship with God in me. That's the next part. That's, that's next Sunday. How do we know that we're certain that God says, I'm filled with joy? I'm not. I'm depressed and anxious. Well, just fellowship with God. It's that simple. No, it's a battle. And I've, there's been times when I get really, I can get down, <laughs> put it this way, I can get down with the best of them. Or I guess you could say the worst of I don't know. But I can get down. And I, I tend to be a little bit melancholy in my personality, so that's easy for me. I tell you what, the ten, past 11 years of my life have been the most joyful thing I've ever been in. When I got a revelation of God's grace and His love, and I didn't have to fight to get Him, it, it started. It's just a, a little rock started falling down the great mountain of Lloyd. And it became an avalanche until all that was standing was Christ. And all the rubble fell away. And now, well, do you get anxious about things? Yes, but I don't condemn myself for getting anxious. I run into his arms. There's a way that he made for anxiety. We sing about it. There's a way. I'm no longer a child of fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a child of anxiety. That's of the world. I am a child of God. When I start receiving that again and telling myself, reminding myself, preaching to myself, praising to myself, powerfully worshiping God and who He is and what He has done, I am changed. I've been translated out of this present darkness 
into the glorious kingdom of the son of his love. In the midst of having anxiety, I can have deep joy. In the midst of depression, I can touch the joy of God through fellowship with Him. So many years, I had so many believers say this to me, God feels far away. There's no distance and there's no delay. He lives in you. I have to, I have to go somewhere. I have to seek God. Go look in the mirror. Rise up in me, O Spirit of God. Speak it to your heart. Jesus, I pray that we would speak this to our hearts. We are certain of something. We are of you. We are certain of something else. We are not of the world. It's under the sway of the wicked one. And there is a distinct difference. Bring your life into my heart this week, the knowledge of it, the understanding of it, the retaining of it, the glory of it, the fellowship with who you are. We have fellowship with you. Unbroken through the centuries of time, we have fellowship with you. I am my beloved's, my beloved is mine. In Jesus' name. Man, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.